Welcome to Season 3 of Hashing Out the Law. I'm your host, Arash Hashemi. On Season 1 of the show, I had immigration lawyer Leila Khamushian on to talk about the policies of the Trump White House and how they would affect immigration. Now, with the new president in the White House, I've asked Leila to come back on and discuss what new policies the Biden White House will enforce or rescind. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hashing Out the Law. This is season three. On the first season of the show, I had my friend and colleague, immigration lawyer, Leila Khamushian on, and she was talking about the changes that had taken effect with the new administration back in 2018. Well, again, we have another new administration. The Biden administration has taken over, and they have reversed courses and change some of the policies of the prior administration as far as immigration is concerned. So I wanted to have Layla back on so she can tell us and talk about the new policies, how uh, they have affected immigration and they have affected the people who want to immigrate to this country. Good morning, Layla, how are you? Good morning, I'm well, how are you? I'm good, it's good to have you on. Um, I was actually being nice. It's very good that's, to be on. <laughs> but, that's not for you. So Leila, um, your expertise are in immigration. You're an immigration lawyer. You help people who want to immigrate here, whether it's through work, whether it's through um, political asylum. Um, and we're gonna include all of this in the bio section and, and the link to your website so people can actually have a way of getting in contact with you. And then we'll, we'll have you tell people how to get in contact with you. but. I want you to tell us a little bit about what it is that you exactly do on a day-to-day -day basis in your office. Sure. Um, so a little bit about me, um, a background, and, and that I'll segue into why I chose to practice immigration law. I am from Iran, so I, and we immigrated to the U.S. with my family when I was about 12 years old, um, back in the 90s, and I went through the immigration process myself from the beginning. So uh, going to the US embassy in Turkey when I was 12, having that face-to-face -face interview with the consular officer, and then getting a visa, coming here and applying for a green card and then going through the citizenship process. Um, just a, a funny fact, by the time I became a US citizen, I was already a lawyer and uh, the interviewing officer just couldn't believe that I hadn't applied to become a citizen sooner. So um, we had a nice little chat. And, and that story basically sets, sets my day-to-day -day basis because when I sit on this side of the table and I consult with clients who call me or go with them to their interview, immigration interview, I've been there. So I know exactly how I feel. So, but when a client calls me and says, I'm really nervous about my case. Um, I don't know if I can stay here or not. I don't know if I can be reunited from, with my family if they're not here. Then I understand this from a personal perspective. And that, that basically makes me really excited every day to get up and do what I need to do. Now, what was your question? <laughs> 
that was my question. You answered it. I wanted to, to, for you to tell us a little bit about your background and what you do every day. Um, you forgot to mention that when you went for your citizenship test, even though you were a lawyer, you failed it because you didn't know the U.S. Constitution. That is very true. No, I actually, I, I, <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm just kidding. Me and me and Layla have. No, a, I failed. Just, I failed the the spelling test. The spelling test. I'm a horrible speller still, so it's okay. So Layla, um, Biden has taken over, and his administration has, or he himself, through his executive action and his policies through his administration, administration have either reversed or nullified some of the policies of the prior administration. Um, one of them is the so-called Muslim ban or the, the policy where they wouldn't allow certain citizens of a number of countries to enter. Um, and that's no longer valid, true? That's, that's exactly correct. So when Biden uh, was sworn in on January 21st, um, sorry, was it 21st or 20th? I can't remember. It was. It was. It's been so exciting since then. I don't remember what date is. <laughs> he uh, literally uh, in the afternoon uh, of the first day, or, or this, when he got into office, he signed about 17 executive orders, as I remember. And one of them was to uh, reverse the um, the travel ban, uh, or uh, infamously called the Muslim ban because the previous administration never really called it the Muslim ban. But in, in practice, that's really what it was. Uh, and what that means is that citizens of, citizens of those certain countries are now eligible to go and uh, either process their visa applications or if they were rejected, which some of them were in the past four years, they have to be reconsidered. Okay, so not only that executive order was reversed going forward, but all the rejection cases have to be reviewed by the, um, the consular officers in, in the Department of State all over the world and make sure that if they're still eligible to apply for an immigrant visa, they can. And that was a big victory because um, Personally, I have so many clients who uh, have been waiting to, to come or go to the consular interview for their visa, and now these cases are going to get back on calendar. Uh, however, you know, with the reversal of these policies, it will take time to actually effectuate, right? One of the, one of the things that needs to happen is because the Department of State which runs all the consulates and embassies in the world, um, the, the, basically they have to change. A lot of their staff is going to change. And, and embassies, as many people know, consulates have been closed due to COVID. So not only they've been closed, they have to start reopening and they have to change their staff. And that's going to take a while, at least six months to a year. And people who have been waiting they're still going to have to wait a little longer. And I, I know that I'm just responding to that question because I, on a day-to-day -day basis, I get calls and emails from everyone who's so excited because they think they're going to come tomorrow. And the reality is it's going to take, it's still going to take some, take, take some time. Right. Uh, you mentioned that the, the previous administration never called it the Muslim ban, um, but in, in theory, that's what it was. However, um, that's not 
necessarily true. It wasn't necessarily directed toward Muslims. It was directed these towards these countries, which majority of are, are Muslim countries. Now, the reason I say that is one of those countries is where you're from and where I'm from, which I also immigrated from Iran. Um, and we have a lot of family or, or, or relatives or distant cousins or, or friends that have families here and they want to come back and visit and they couldn't. Um, now, the reason that ban was put in place was because of the policies the governments of these countries have and not necessarily the citizens of these countries. My question to you is, um, we know that Iran is the arch nemesis of the US and they use the US system to infiltrate um, the, this country. How, how is this reversal going to control that? Is there, my question to you is not just Iran, but in, in immigration policies, do we have something in place where they can uh, tell whether this person is genuinely someone who wants to immigrate for education or for visa, or, or I'm sorry, for work or, or for political asylum? Or is it someone that's you know, using that as an excuse and, and to come in this country and, and whether to, to spy or, or infiltrate the government or you, you, you know what I mean? Is there any checks and balances in, in the process, because I know a lot of people, not just these specific countries, but overall have that question in the back of their head. And that's one of the reasons they're so afraid of letting people in the country. I want you to, to calm them down or, or give them some sense of comfort that our system of immigration has actually checks and balances in place and not just anybody can come in. Is that true? So you promised we're not going to get controversial. I'm, I'm just kidding. We, you can get controversial all you want. I don't care. Oh, I, I can get so controversial. You have no idea. I'm just kidding. So um, practicing immigration law for the last 10 years, um, obviously, I'm not on the side of the government. And I don't know um, everything that the government does. However, I can now tell you that they have a pretty good overall system of investigating backgrounds and doing background checks. Um, and that comes from my experience in practice because, and I tell my clients when, when the government runs their background check, when they do fingerprints, whether they're here in the US or outside, there are about at least 17 agencies that they have to run through before somebody's clear, right? And we don't even, you know, it, you know, as an average person, or even before I was practicing immigration, I, I couldn't even imagine that's, that there are 17 agencies that do security checks. I, I always thought, well, okay, you go through FBI and CIA and a couple of other agencies, right? Um, and so they, I think they do a pretty good job, especially now that they have, um, access to people's social media, okay? And I've seen it in cases where, uh, you know, obviously I can't really vet uh, as much as I want to. I can't vet for everything, but I've seen it in cases where I get a file and, you know, there are some notes or documents from the various government agencies that tells me this is my client's background, 
okay, that I didn't even know, and obviously they didn't tell me. Uh, and I, when I get a call or a consult, I always tell the client, listen, you, if you're not telling the truth at one of your interviews, okay, they, I tell the client they know everything. Okay, let's just be clear. They know everything. If not, they know about 98% of what you've done. They, and from going to uh, whether I've gone to seminars or, you know, or webinars on uh, consular processing, and last year I went to Mexico, and with a, we had a trip with um, some of my colleagues, immigration lawyers. We went to Guadalajara, and we went to the U.S consulate to visit them and we actually sat there we had a talk with about six of the consular officers and they actually took us to the back and they showed us the where the offices are and where they work and it was a pretty fascinating eye-opening experience i'm glad i did that right before COVID. um and we we got to see the other side right the other side of the window that that i have been on this side and then i went inside and saw the other side and they tell us that they, so they, they say that they do a thorough background check. However, with, just like with everything else, they, statistically speaking, the consular officers say they are 80% right in, in terms of making a dis- decision to actually give someone a visa or not, and 20% wrong. What does that mean? That means that they have two minutes when someone goes to the window uh, for the non-immigrant visas. For the immigrant visas, it's a little bit different and there's, there's you know, more thorough background checks done. But for a non-immigrant visa, if you wanna apply to come here on a tourist visa or a student visa, you know, and your intention is to return to your country, they literally have two minutes at the window with you, okay? And they've done, there's gonna be some previous check but, but most of it, it actually comes from that two-minute interview and, and looking at your body language and figuring out if you're telling the truth or not. And because the consular officer is also human, right, and they could make a mistake, they said that statistically they're right, 80% and wrong, 20%. What does that mean? That means that they could give a visa to someone and that person can turn out to be whatever they are or come and stay here 20%, right? And that's been, they've done that research and study on their numbers. So they know based on the numbers of visas who comes here and was not supposed to stay here and stays here. And they pretty much probably track you to see what you end up doing with your life. However, most people that immigrate and also research on, on, on immigration shows that most people who immigrate here and stay here, they actually go to school, they get jobs, they end up paying taxes, and they, they are actually becoming good citizens of this country, right? And that goes back to the stigma of, which was, in my view, perpetuated by the previous administration that immigrants are criminals and they're bad people and they come and stay here and take our money and, you know, we pay for their welfare and all that. So that, that's, that's something that this administration, the Biden administration is, uh, intends to reverse in terms of morality or the, the moral behind immigration, right? They, I wrote some words down that Biden used when he talked last week on, 
um, making immigration process more humane and fair. And in terms of uh, our relationship with other countries and, and foreign nations, he said, America is back because, you know, we believe, okay, and, and when I say we, I, I kind of make that a general term in terms of me and my immigration colleagues and anyone in the system and anyone who supports the administration that, that we cut ourselves off from the world in the last four years and we burned some bridges. And now this administration is back to build those bridges. And by the way, one number I want to throw out, um, maybe I'll ask you, maybe you know that, but don't ask Siri, you can't cheat. Okay. Um, how many foreign born individuals live in this state? In this state? Yeah, in, in the US. In the country or in the state? In in United States. So how many how many foreign born individuals do you think we have? I'm gonna say it's in the hundred millions. Oh, okay. Um, no, it, it as of today is actually forty million foreign born individuals. Forty million. Okay. So that's a, a huge percentage of the, our our U.S. population, right? Right. Um, and and it, it, that number doesn't take into account of other minorities. You know, you can be a you can be uh, born you can be born in the U.S. but you're a minority. So the the number of the percentage, excuse me, the percentage of minorities, if you count everybody who's who's considered a minority in the country is actually 40%, right? So we're reaching the, the mark where almost half of the US is either a foreign born, a minority, or has some sort of connection uh, to, you know, the, the non-white race or whatever, whatever you wanna call it. Um, and that should change our mentality of how we, we design policy, right? Uh, and our behavior as a nation. I'm not controversial at all. That's interesting that you said that. I'll, I'll be controversial. I think the past administrations, the current administration, the one before it, and the ones before it, it's just been a modern trend, have lumped immigration into one category, and they just call it immigration and immigrant. But technically, if we look at the laws, there's two types of immigration. There is legal immigration and illegal immigration, meaning the people who actually go through the process they go through the, the, the 17 uh, government agencies that do background checks. They go to the council and they get the visa they, and then they come through. And then there's people who come here illegally. They're not vetted. Nobody knows who they are. Um, I'm not saying that all those people are, are criminals or spies or whatever. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying they're not going through the vetting system. But if you talk about illegal immigration, you, you are now a a horrible person and you're anti-human and anti this. However, in the government and in the, in the legal system that actually exists, there is legal and illegal immigration. And I think that's the problem that not just this administration, this administration uh, is, is, is making it, using immigration, lumping it all into one category and spinning it as a positive thing, which it can be. The other administration took it and did the same thing and talked about immigration and immigrants 
and they use it in a negative way. Like these are all, all these immigrants are coming, taking our jobs and things like that. So I think both, both political parties and both, uh, all these administrations are lumping in it together. Um, how do you separate or how do you defend all these numbers that you're saying with all the other people that are saying, what about all the illegals? What about the people here coming illegally? Do we, and the reason I'm asking that is, how do we count them? How do we know who they are? How do we know what they end up doing? Is there a system in process that counts those people? And when I say that, I mean a, a system within our government, uh, uh, whether it's the, the FBI or, or immigration or ICE, or is, is there a system that counts those? Do we have figures on, on, on the illegal immigration? Okay, so you, you have asked some compound questions. I have, um, and I want to come. You, you, made, you made some statements <laughs> I have to address first. Uh, you said that this administration, which you mean the Biden administration, has lumped together illegal and legal immigration. That is not correct. No, when, okay. when I say, I, 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 let me clarify what I'm saying. I'm not saying they lumped them all in together as, as, far, as, as far as policy or things go. I'm talking about just, just speech, rhetoric, okay? That's, that's all I'm talking about. I'm not saying that they've, they've, they're not doing their job and they're not you know, following the law or the constant. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying any of that about this administration or any of the other administrations. I'm just saying in general, in rhetoric, in political talk, Immigration has been lumped into one. Now, when you talk about immigration, you're talking about immigration. And you're talking about when people say immigrant rights, they're talking about the rights of immigrants, but they're not specifying who, whose rights, illegal immigrant rights, legal immigrant rights. That's what I'm saying. It's, it's been in speech and in rhetoric, it's all been lumped into one, not as far as government policy. That's not what I mean. Okay, so let's, let's just focus on one thing at a time. As far as if you want to talk specifically about border control, okay, it's a fact that we have a problem, right, where people have historically, and I don't know how long, I don't know how, what it dates back to, so I don't know that, that part of history, have historically crossed the southern border of the U.S., Okay. And they have come here without going through the process that you and I went through. That's true, right? Right. Now, in, in practice, there are two types of, it, it ends up to being two types of crossing the border. The first type is people who come, they want to apply for asylum, okay? And they do that at the border. So they come through and they don't have a visa, right? Uh, or any documents to get in. So they go to, they actually go to the officer, the CBP border control officer. Okay. They give them their name. Okay. And, and they give them an address from the U S where they're going to be at, where they can receive mail. Okay. And then they receive a letter from the immigration court with a, a number, which is your alien number. And they have to show up to court on a certain date. And a lot of people do actually, in fact, do that. So they go through the asylum process in the court system. And they have to present a case of why they, they have come or ran away from their country, you know, being persecuted or whatever. And they present that case to the judge. So that's one group of people, okay? And in fact, that is the, the legal process, right? Mm -hmm. 
And this happens not in not just here, as we know, it happens all over the world, right? Where there's uh, a, you know, I just saw a picture a while back from um, the, the, the people who are the refugees in Eastern Europe. And they were lined up at one of the borders um, in, in one of the Eastern European countries, basically in like cold snow, they were lined up to go through the border to to the other country to become refugees, right? So it's not just here that that happens. It's, it's, it happens all over, right? The other type of people are people who come, right? And this is the stigma. The stigma comes from that type of, the, the group of people who come through the border, nobody's looking, right? And then they cross. No right. one sees them. Right. Um, if, the, if they're caught by uh, either the CBP or the police, you know, around the, that area of the border, then they can be detained. And some are detained, right? Uh, and, but if no one catches them, no, no one knows who they are. They cross and, you know, they could come live here and, you know, have no ID for years or whatever. No one, no one, if, if they're caught on the street, then that's something else, right? So that's, I think the group of people that, that the, the, the idea or belief comes, oh, those people are illegals. They cross to the, it's actually a violation of the law, right? And if you're part of that group who crossed the border illegally, you have no documents. Um, actually, your path to getting a residency in the coming years, if you want to do that at some point, becomes really hard, right? Because it's, it, you, it, it's really hard to get, oh, it's a hurdle. You have to go through a lot of waivers and all that to get over that hurdle. And there are people who have lived here for 30 years because of what they did. They still can't adjust their status and become residents, Okay. Right. So, no, I don't really think we have a number. There's an estimate number of, like, how many how many um, undocumented people, you know, they call them undocumented. It's a little more humane than illegal, you know. Um, there, there are some estimates of number of how many people live in, in, in the states like California, Arizona, and Texas, right, uh, or even New Mexico, where that, that occurs mostly, right? Um, it used to be that a lot of, you know, some people come on a boat, like a lot of Cubans came years ago, Cuban immigrants came through on a boat, right, to, to immigrate. And then they, some of them probably just landed and the other ones went and got the A number, right? They went through the asylum process. Right. So going back to your question, what was it again? Well, my question was, is there a, a specific agency that keeps track of, of, of the people who are undocumented and um, it, it, is there a way of knowing uh, after they cross what happens to them, what they're doing and things like that? I think that's the concern that the people who are um, anti-immigration for lack of better terms, that's, that's, that's their excuse of all, all these undocumented people. That's their excuse. Whenever something comes up, they come up, they, they, they mention them as their excuse why our system is broken. And, you know, but that's a whole different thing now. But let me hold on. I want to clarify one more point. So the Biden administration uh, under one of the executive orders that he signed uh, a couple of weeks ago is they are um, instead of building the wall, right? The, 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 the construction of the wall has stopped, right? The wall that Trump was 
you know, wanted to spend billions of dollars building, that has stopped. That was one of the executive orders. And instead of doing that, what they're doing is they, they are funding CBP uh, or border control training, okay? They're increasing the funding for that, for, for basically the, the personnel who are at the border and they're actually supposed to do their job um, humanely, right? And, and make sure that people go through the process that they're supposed to go, right? And one of the inhumane um, policies of the Trump administration was, and it was all over news, so I'm sure everyone has heard about it, was the separation of, of children from their families at the border. Right. Okay? And the number of uh, all these children who were separated young children under five, and, and they actually went missing for a while, okay? Nobody knew, knew where these children were, and uh, the inhumane conditions that they were in, wherever they were, and, and that, that was, you know, um, a lot of uh, pro-immigrant organizations, like, it, 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 it just, um, I don't even want to get into it, but it, the, the, the right thing to do uh, the, in terms of policy, we know we have a problem. We know immigration system is is broken. It's not a perfect system. Um, in fact, Biden admitted that the immigration system under the Obama administration had so many issues, and Biden was vice president of, under Obama, so he he knows he was an insider, right? So the the goal is okay. We're what are what are our problems, and what what possible solutions, long-term solutions we can have. Right. right. You mentioned that. That's interesting because a lot of people don't know, but under Obama, he actually, uh, he actually expelled a lot of people. He actually he deported, 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 right. he deported a lot of, a lot of people under the Obama administration. The people, a lot of people don't know that. So, but let's go back um, to let's let's stay in this realm but let's go back to the process now you touched upon it a little bit uh let's say i cross the border illegally i'm here now i'm working i have a job uh i might i'm even paying taxes um and i've got a california driver's license because i can get one now but i don't have a, a residency and i don't have citizenship but i want to apply for it is there a way that I can now become a legal resident and be on my path to citizenship, even though initially I entered the country illegally? It depends. On? <laughs> Every case is different. So it, it uh, depends on the facts of the case. Um, and it depends on your um, living and family situation now. So for example, if you came here um, and you are now married to a U.S. citizen, and you have children who are born here as U.S. citizens, then you may be, not everybody is, you may be eligible for what's called a hardship waiver, meaning that you ask the, uh, you know, the U.S. government to consider the factors of your life. You have a family here. And also consider the factors in your home country. For example, if there's war in your country, you can't, you don't want to go back. If there's, if you're going to be in danger in your country, you don't want to go back, right? And and waiving all those factors, um, like they call it totality of circumstances, right? And see if it's going to create a hardship for your immediate family who are going to be here if you get deported, 
then in so many of those cases, those waivers are granted and then you can stay. Um, you apply, there, there's several steps you have to take and it takes years actually. And you can apply either here to become a, a permanent resident through the family member once all the, the waivers are granted, right? Um, and Or the last stage, sometimes some people have to fly back to their home country for their interview, for the visa interview, and that's where the officer grants interview. So yes, there is, there is a way, um, and many people go through that process, uh, and especially the the ones, the you know, the dreamers, the DACA recipients, right, who came here as children, as minor children with their parents. You know, technically they were brought here by their parents of you know that they didn't make that decision. So DACA recipients, especially, have that path. That leads to my next question. DACA. So when Biden administration took over, what happened to DACA? So right before uh, Biden took over, the the DACA had been on um, this path of litigation from the start of the Trump administration, right? Several cases had been filed in federal court going up and down Supreme Court um, because the Trump administration wanted to take DACA away uh, from the recipients and not let them renew again. Okay, they even stopped taking new applications for a while. And Trump wanted Congress to pass a law on DACA. Okay, that was his whole thing. He said, you know, I don't think this is an executive action. I think Congress needs to pass, which they never did. They, never, they didn't get to that, right? The court in, I think it was December, November or December of 2020, actually reversed the what Trump was trying to do with DACA, okay? And said, okay, now it's back up open again. Um, people can file their new DACA applications. And when by January, 2021, when Biden took over, that was almost done, but he did sign the executive action that, that they're gonna continue to take new DACA applications. That doesn't mean that they're, st they're still not eligible for a permanent residency card. Okay, a lot of DACA, DACA uh, recipients are able to live here. They have a work permit. Um, most of them, uh, they have to apply for a different uh, permit to be able to travel back and forth. Most of them haven't, uh, I don't know what the numbers are. If some of them have done that, some of them haven't. So they, they have limited uh, benefits, but they don't have a permanent residency. One of the um, administration's uh, long-term goals is to pass the um, to pass the law that allows DACA's to become permanent residents and then citizens. That was that was my other question. So, uh, DACA, um, how long is it going to go on for, and what is it going to evolve to? Is, is the administration given any hints, or is there any steps that they want to take, or is there any legislation that's going to go forward? So. As far as what the, the current DACA recipients, they're, they're allowed to stay and keep renewing uh, their DACA. So that's, that's on. As far as what the administration plans to do, they do, they do intend to give, the, you know, they're, they're planning to give a path to citizenship, right? Um, but it has to go to Congress. They want Congress to act on it, okay? They want Congress to pass the law to say, okay, People who've been here and they, they are qualified and they meet these criteria. And one of them is no criminal record, right? Okay, and that, that's when they go through the background check. 
um, they they want to give the long term citizenship to that, but it hasn't it, it hasn't happened yet. Remember, it hasn't even been a month that Biden is in. <laughs> has okay. it? No. No, it has not. Um, so tell us a little bit about some of the other changes that took effect with the new administration. I know there's a lot to talk about, but tell us a little bullet points of what has taken effect and, and what has changed. Okay, so, you know, I think we covered most of it. One, one of the major changes that it's a revamping of um, the departments that handle immigration. And just a quick overview for the listeners if they're, if they're interested to know, immigration actually is handled by three separate departments, okay? One is Department of Homeland Security, which basically governs what happens in the United States with immigration, right? Under Homeland Security, you have USCIS, which is the, the entity that gives the benefits. So if you apply, if you have an application for, for residency, green card, work permit, asylum, you send that to USCIS, right? Uh, as part of this, DHS is the border control, CBP, okay? CBP officers at the borders, at a port of entry, in the in the airports. They're the ones who, ha who actually let you in, right? They stamp your passport, or they, they have the discretion not to let you in for whatever reason. Uh, and the other part is ICE. So all those three uh, sub-entities fall under DHS, right? Department of Homeland Security, uh, has its own leadership, right? Uh, and we have then we have Department of State that is basically the department that runs all the consulates and all the embassies around the world. And Department of State has its own leadership. In practice, um, a lot of times those two departments don't really get along, right? Um, so a lot of the policies under DHS sometimes are in conflict with the policies under Department of State. And then you see that as you, as you practice law more and more, you see how, oh, you get a ruling under this department and it's so different than the ruling under the other, the other department. And then we have immigration court, which is under Department of Justice. So what is Biden doing? Again, like I mentioned before, a lot of revamping, obviously leadership has changed. Uh, they've, you know, new staffs are going to come in some a lot of people have to re, have already resigned or actually they're being asked to leave okay i don't want to use the word fired but essentially they're going to get fired yeah i actually um, saw an article uh the other day uh the biden administration is asking a lot of uh u.s uh, attorneys that were appointed by the trump administration they're asking them to resign Yes, they're asking them to resign. If they don't resign, they might get fired. And if you think about it, um, from a practical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. And it's not just Biden. It happens with every new administration, right? Why is that? And it's, 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 I read the same article, and I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Why? Because what does a U.S. attorney do? What is it, what is, what's the job of a U.S. attorney? I'm asking you. Oh, you're asking me? Yes. The job of the U.S. attorney is to enforce the laws of the United States. And also defend the government of the U.S., right? Mm -hmm. So, for example, when the government, the executive branch got uh, sued, right? Uh, and we all saw a lot of lawsuits uh, where, for example, California or a lot of uh, more liberal states, they, sue, they sued the Trump administration a lot, right? So who defended them? 
U.S. attorney. Who was the defense lawyer? Right. The U.S. attorneys defended Donald Trump or, or his executive branch. So it, it just makes sense that if you are a U.S. attorney under one administration and, and you know, you show up to defend this these policies or this administration policies, right? Uh, it makes sense that you don't work for the next administration who's so vastly different than the previous one, right? And unless you're totally, you know, a robot with no human beliefs, um, I, I think that it's better if, if these people who work as U.S. attorneys change, right? It just makes sense for the administration. Aren't you supposed to be a robot with no human beliefs as an attorney? You're supposed to be a robot and, and be neutral and, and be able to defend or prosecute uh, equally. Sure. You tell me. You're, you're a criminal defense lawyer. Are you a robot? I can be if I need to be. But no, I understand what you're saying. And it makes complete sense. They're asking, you know, it's a new administration. They want new personnel. Um, you were saying, what else are they doing? Or what else have they done? Um, I, I think we covered a lot of it, most of it, at least. And it's, it's still in the process. Right, uh, it's it's still pretty new. It's in the process. It's I I think I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Um, about it, I'm excited for my clients. I'm ex excited for prospective clients, and um, and you know, having gone through the last four years and and the um, the stress of the last four years, um, I think it's like a break for all of us. In fact, it's interesting because. I was talking to a couple of people and the same thing for me, I was following the news like um, religiously, uh, especially in the last six months, obviously with the election and um, to the point where I would be on my phone, I would have NPR on, you know, and I go to, to do some grocery shopping and I couldn't get off the news on my headphone. Like I just put it on. It was just like I had become obsessed. Now, I feel like I've kind of let go. Like, I, I feel like I have a government in place who's governing, and I have leaders who are being leaders, and they're doing their job, and I don't really have to go crazy every day knowing what they're up to. Okay, so... It's a relief. <laughs> so, if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you uh, to, to help them immigrate or to help them get uh, change their status, how do they get a hold of you? So um, the best way to get a hold of me is to send an email, okay? And we'll put up my email on. It's on the website. They can do an intake form, and you can you can um, put my website on on this. What, what is your, we will put your website up, but what is your website? It's klglawyers.com. Okay. All right, Layla. It was a pleasure always having you on. Um, anything else you want to say before we end this discussion? Um, anything else I want to say? No, I, I think that um, we, what we need to do more and more is uh, communicate, talk, and have discussions about everything that is controversial. Right. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%, but it seems like people people don't have the mental capacity or I take that back. People have the mental capacity. They don't have the emotional capacity to have a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with them. But yes, we do need to have uh, discussions about 
controversial topics such as immigration, which can be very controversial. Um, and then at the end of the day, get off the, get, get, get off the table and, and still be cordial and understanding of each other. Unfortunately, that's been lost and hopefully it will be brought back. Exactly. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for being on, Leila. You have a great day. Bye.